I'm sitting on a bench on a beautiful sunny afternoon looking out to sea. It's so peaceful and so quiet here. You can hear the birds singing. It's absolutely lovely. And I'm sitting on this bench uh, with actual Howard Parkin, (laughs) who knows all about the skies above us. This is a very special site, Howard. Tell us where we are. Well, this is Port Sodrick Brews. This is one of the original dark sky discovery sites that were set up back in 2011. And this, I'll be quite honest with you, this was the first site I brought the chap who came over from the UK to look at the island to see whether they could have some dark sky sites. And this was the first site I brought him. And the ironic thing is, I brought him in broad daylight just like we're here in broad daylight because he was only over for the day. But when you sit here in this location and you just look at the sky, there is no lights anywhere around. You've probably got about 270 degree view of the horizon, which means you've pretty well got three quarters of the whole sky right down to the southern horizon. And on a day like today, it's absolutely breathtaking, as you say, with the birds singing and everything else. It's just gorgeous. And it doesn't take much to imagine just how wonderful the skies are from this location. And especially at this time of year. I mean, it's actually Dark Skies Week, which is why I thought I'd catch up with you about this. I mean, you've sort of touched on it anyway, but is it essentially that sort of like 360 view and the the lack of lights that qualifies a dark sky site? Yes, fundamentally, you've got to have the, the three major parameters for a dark sky site are you've got to have a good view of the sky. We wanted Laxey Wheel to be in there, but it couldn't be because the valley is so steep. So we couldn't have Laxey Wheel as a dark sky site. That was one of our slight disappointments, but that's understandable. So as much of the sky as you can see, um, easily accessible, especially for people, uh, less able people. And secondly, as minimum light as possible. So effectively, a dark sky site is exactly what it says on the tin. There is no... We're sitting here now. There's one bush there which probably obscures the only farmhouse that's visible. And that would be so low down the horizon, it wouldn't do any harm whatsoever. But this is just a stunning site. And um, as I say, this is one of the original seven dark sky sites we established on the island. And then it was so much interest in it, we got another 19 established and um, agreed as well. I mean, that's got to be pretty unique. I think it is. In the UK, I think we've got the biggest number of dark sky discovery sites in the British Isles. We were part of the UK for that purpose originally, but we asked them when they first set up the Dark Skies Discovery Network, it was just for the UK. So we said, well, what about us? And they said, well, we'll include the Isle of Man in it. So we now call them the British Isles Dark Sky Discovery Sites. So if you look it up on the internet, look it up on the web, a dark sky discovery site, you'll see all about the Isle of Man and in the middle of the Irish Sea, there's this blob of all these pointers pointing to the um, 26 sites we've got. So we're very fortunate. And they are often marked, aren't they, by a board with information about the site. I know there's one here anyway. What, what sort of information do we have there? Well, basically, the sky changes on a seasonal basis. As we go around the sun on our annual orbit around the sun, of course, the skies change. This is why we get the changing constellations, the signs of the zodiac. We have winter, spring, summer stars and so on. So basically, the board explains what you can see in each direction, north, south, east and west, and the four seasons. So you've got 12 little maps there. I think it's eight actually on that board. Uh, You've got eight little maps showing exactly what you can see and when. And then... this time of the year, of course, is quite spectacular for a whole host of different reasons. Uh, but we've got the winter stars setting in the western sky at the moment and the spring stars coming up. And this time of the year is one of the best times of the year for stargazing, which is why they've made it Dark Skies Discovery Week, which also links into the fact there's no moon. The new moon on the 20th of 
uh, April means that the sky is dark, so you've got every chance to see everything in the sky. And the weather's a little bit better. It's not quite as cold, and hopefully we get some clear nights like we've had recently. So people can come and enjoy the, the sights. Not necessarily from one of the dark sky sites, which, of course, I, I'm delighted people use them, but just in your back garden, just get away from the lights, just look up at the sky. And you don't have to know what you're looking at. You don't have to identify every star and planet in the sky. Um, if you go on holiday and you see a, a beautiful bit of scenery, you don't identify all the mountains and the lakes, do you? You just think it's beautiful, but it's exactly the same with astronomy. And we can just see the sky and it's all its wonder and um, and marvel at it all and uh, realise how fortunate we are to have such dark sky sights in the Isle of Man. Naked eye as well. You can see quite a lot. You don't always have to have a telescope, do you? No, no, not at all. I mean, most of my astronomy I do with people is naked eye astronomy because basically, again, if you're in a big group of people, to have 50 people all look through a telescope at once, well, it doesn't happen. So it takes 10 seconds. Then they nudge the telescope and it's off you. You've got to set it up again. So what I tend to concentrate on when I do all my stargazing with people is naked eye because we can point out the planets, we can point out the stars, we can point out the Milky Way. If you then want to go on further and look for the nebulas, the clusters, and all the features in the sky, that's when you get involved with the telescope and join the Astronomical Society or whatever uh, and take your interest to the next level. And, I mean, you can get apps nowadays, but I'm guessing they're not necessarily always 100%. No, the problem with the apps is that they're great for an individual, but so often they don't work properly. The location services uh, are not switched on or the phone isn't set up properly. By far the best thing to do is get a paper map. There is a, a thing called skymaps.com on the internet and they publish every month a chart which shows what's in the sky and it gives you a, li a, a list along the left-hand side of it of all the features in the sky or a planisphere, or even a computer program. But the apps, what frustrates me about the apps is that many a time I'll be stargazing with people and they'll say, I'll say, that's the star, I'll Deborah in them, and they'll say, my app says it's something else. Well, A, they're looking down at their phone rather than up at the sky. And I've then got to stop what I'm doing with a group of maybe 50 people and explain to them what we're looking at. Um, and this person, they say, well, my app says you're wrong. And it's not me, it's the sky isn't wrong. <laughs> I don't make the sky, the sky is not wrong. It is the, uh, the, the computer, it's the app. And they're just not used. They're great for individuals. They're great if you know, if you can identify something. Yeah. like a main star, like the star Sirius or the constellation Orion. If you know that's visible and you've got that in your phone, you know you're pretty well accurate. But I have had some instances when I've been with stargazing groups elsewhere and then um, people will say to me, the sky is totally wrong. And hang on a minute, you've got your phone set for California. <laughs> so hang on a minute, you're not in California, you're in Norway or wherever we are. They're free, so try them for yourselves, but don't take them the gospel. Much better to use a paper version or a planisphere, or as I say, one of these major computer programs you can get on your computers. Now, I have to ask you about something that's been happening over here with, I think, quite astonishing regularity of late. We've been able to see the Northern Lights really quite clearly. We have indeed. We've been very fortunate, and there's a whole host of uh, reasons for that. The sun goes through a cycle about every 11 years, and every 11 years the sun has this cycle where it peaks and then it drops again. The next peak is 2025, so we're on the up. The cycle is on the way up, and the amount of solar activity, sunspots is what we call them, on the sun at the moment is quite um, amazing. It's two and three times what it was expected to be, so we're expecting quite a good peak in 2025. But this year in particular, on February the 27th, I remember it vividly, we had what the sun gave us, a coronal mass ejection. This is where material leaves the 
the Sun and heads out into space if it intercepts the Earth we get the Northern Lights. Well that happened on the 27th of February. Now the Sun, just like the Earth rotates in 24 hours, the Sun goes round in 27 days. So this happened on the 27th of February and um, yes we saw it from the Isle of Man, lots of photographs, lots of people talking about it, but the Sun of course went round in 27 days. The hole, the coronal hole where this meteor came from was twice the size it was originally and therefore we got another blast of Northern Lights on the 21st of March. Two or three days later, there it was, and lots of people saw it from the Isle of Man again, and uh, I was very fortunate. I was up in the top of Norway um, on a cruise ship, and the American, mainly American passengers on board were absolutely blown away by this wonderful display of aurora. It's, it's quite amazing. It's a bit like over here when someone wants to see the aurora, but okay, the change is now that you've paid for a trip to go and see the aurora, and there's no promises you'll see it. So all the way up to the top of Norway, there was anticipation about, will we see it, won't we see it, will we see it, won't we see it? Of course, on the first night, we're all having dinner on the boat, nine o'clock at night, and the captain comes on and says, there's aurora off the starboard bow. The ship keeled over to the left-hand side, or sorry, right-hand side, starboard, um, because everyone rushed to the side in T-shirts, in clothes that were totally unsuitable for the Norwegian weather. But there was the aurora, and uh, it was quite spectacular. And uh, I was so fortunate to be there at this particular peak, which I've got to say is some of the best aurora I've ever seen, was the one we just had um, a few days ago, weeks ago. Have you been fortunate enough to see it here on the Isle of Man yet? Yes, I have indeed. Um, back in 2000 and 2003, we saw quite a few decent displays of aurora. There have been other subsequent ones. Again, my the solar this peak of the solar activity. So we got another blast in 2013, 2014, and I'm anticipating another blast again in 2025, 2024. But um, as I say, the sun is far more active, so... If you're looking for the aurora, the big tip with the aurora is find a northern horizon. You're not going to see the aurora overhead. You've got to be inside the Arctic Circle for that. So from the Isle of Man, go to the northern horizon, or sorry, a place with a northern horizon, and look at the sky. And if you can see a white patch in the sky that seems to be somewhat strange, and you may be able to see stars through it, that's the aurora. You do not see the aurora of the naked eye as good as you do with a camera, mm -hmm. but to see it dancing across the sky up from the Isle of Man on the northern horizon, or even in Norway or Alaska, wherever you might be, it's just one of these breathtaking things you see. And you can understand why the ancient peoples were so worried about them. There's so many legends we can talk about about the aurora, it's incredible. And again, this activity could come round again this week. Um, it's unlikely, I don't think that coronal hole will be as big or got even any bigger but there's a possibility of aurora again this week which is just another big bonus as to why we've got the um, dark skies week i just i st still get absolutely blown away by the fact we can see that on the isle of man and some of the photos people have been taking are just incredible there is a facebook page isle of man aurora and there's a couple of people on there isn't there the post you know if they think there might be activity yeah, there is indeed. I mean, the whole point is, um, let's be honest, though, the reason we see it from the Isle of Man is, yes, we've got wonderful light-free skies, but we're looking out to sea, mm -hmm. so there are no lights out at sea, and we've got a great northern horizon. Anywhere from the point of there to Neabel, you've got a fantastic northern horizon if you're on the coast. Failing that, the veranda. Uh, I've even seen it from Onken. I mean, you can, not the King Edward Bay Golf Club. I've seen it from there, the car park there, because it's got a good northerly aspect. You just need a northern horizon. But be warned, though, the aurora can, all the parameters can be there to see it. Clear skies, coronal mass ejections and everything. But she just doesn't appear. And I, this happened to me literally when I was on the last trip. We had a wonderful night. Couldn't see any aurora whatsoever. Beautiful starry night. I'm busy showing everyone the stars, but they weren't interested. We want to see the aurora, not the constellation Orion or the planet Venus or whatever. And the next night, of course, out it came and there we saw it in all its, its glory.
So that, I mean, that is something obviously quite magical and we would hope we might get to see it again. But there's plenty of other things going on in the sky at this time of year, isn't there? There are most certainly. And this is, again, why they've made this Dark Skies Week. Ava's no moon, which gives us the Dark Skies. We've got, as I've already mentioned, the winter stars setting in the west. Now, in the, it's just pure coincidence. There's no reason for it. But in the winter, we have a ranking of stars by their brightness. And the top 30 stars, if you like, on the, in the list, about 12 of them are visible in the winter three in spring and three in summer and two in autumn or whatever the, the, the numbers are but the thing is the winter ones in the west you just see them and there's so many stars bright stars then you turn around 90 degrees and look at the stars of spring leo and virgo and all the other constellations there's only two or three stars and you think why is that and it is purely the earth going around the sun on its axis and we're looking out into space rather than towards the middle of the, where the sun is, of course, because it's not daylight. And that's why we get this amazing contrast. But then thrown into the mix, just to add something special to the whole thing, and I saw this spectacularly the other night when I came back on the boat, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, I was unloading my car, and there is the planet Venus, like a beacon shining in the western sky. It's absolutely like a spotlight, and it really shines magnificently. And not far from that, you've got the planet Mars as well. So we've got Venus, we've got Mars, we've got no moon, we've got the winter stars, we've got the spring stars, Add to that the possibility of aurora, and you've also got the Milky Way skirting the horizon as well. So, lots to see, and just enjoy them and enjoy Dark Skies Week here in the Isle of Man. With many, many sites to go and visit all around the island, just give us a rough idea of some of the ones that people can go to. Well, I always go for the original seven because when we first set this up, we didn't think they'd agree to all seven. So, the first seven we picked out was Port Sodrick here, Port Sodrick Brews, uh, Axe and Fell, which is another subject we won't talk about now, and um, we got Smale. We've got Neabel, we've got The Sound, and we've got Fort Island. But my own personal favourite, which covers everything, is the car park at the reservoir at Baldwin there, the new reservoir, as I call it. That car park has got no lights near it at all. And, of course, you're in a bit of a hollow, and uh, you don't need to see the horizon, really, to get the decent stars. And that's my favourite one. And uh, those seven make up the, the original seven. But add to that mix, we've got Morag Park, we've got Onken Park, we've got... Um, Kurt Michael, we've got the Craig Niche, we've got Peel Castle. I could go on. To be honest with you, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I set up the second batch of 19, what I wanted to do was, we know that people want to come to the Isle of Man to do stargazing. They've got mm -hmm. to pay to come on the boat or the plane, whatever. So, But astronomers are like TT fans. They're a niche tourism. You come to see the TT, but you don't just see the TT. You go to the theatre, you go walking, you go swimming or whatever. Well, astronomy is exactly the same. So come to the Isle of Man. Let's find a dark sky site within three miles or another one. And that's what we've done. There's always a dark sky site within three miles or wherever you are on the island. So that means you can go to the north, the south, the east, the west and see the sky on a clear night and away from the lights, which is all these sites that are established because they're uh, away from the lights. Um, they're all perfect for sky gazing and uh, you don't need to bring telescopes or anything else. Just wrap up warm and look at the sky and enjoy it. Oh, and I forgot to mention, by the way, um, just to throw in the mix for Dark Skies Week, we've got a meteor shower for you as well. The meteor shower, the Lyridge, which peaks on the 20th to 25th of April and the Lyrid meteor shower. Um, best way to see them is to look on the northern horizon. So again, um, more um, promenade or maybe smale or the laugh or something like that. And look to the northern horizon. Give yourself half an hour and I'll guarantee you'll see some meteors if it's clear.
shooting stars as well. I well, love it. <laughs> we just throw everything in the mix. And to be fair, that's why they've made this dark sky sweep because they they picked it uh, they picked it for slightly better weather, no moon, obviously the first sort of major meter shower of the year. I know the experts will tell me there's another one called the Quantra Dids in January, but we won't talk about them. The Lyrids is the first sort of we have had a gap and then we get the Lyrids and then we start to get some more. Roughly, what do you think is the, mo- the most number of meteors that you've seen from the Isle of Man? Oh, that's a great question. In 2015, we had the Persid meteor shower. The best two meteor showers of the year are the Persids in August and the Geminids in December. And the moon interferes. And if you've got too much moonlight, you don't see the meteors. Well, in 2015, I remember it vividly because it was perfect weather, clear skies, no moon. And I sat in my back garden and saw about 40 in an hour. Wow. It was incredible. The The... I estimate about 100 an hour can be seen at that particular shower, but I counted at least 40 before I gave up and thought, that's it, I've just seen so many. That was the best meter shower I've ever seen, and that was from my back garden in the Isle of Man. Did you have a wish for every star? I did, <laughs> but what you do, you see, what you have a drink every time you see a meteor. And I dread to think what state you were in that well, night. <laughs> 40 meteors, it's a good job I didn't keep to that promise, because I think I'd have seen more than shooting stars. It was a cup of tea, wasn't it? Absolutely, it was a sip of tea or coffee, I can't remember which. So what is the difference between the the skies for the spring and winter, Howard? Well, basically, apart from the fact that you've got so many for the winter sky, which are all setting now in the west and we're not seeing them in their best because they're gone, but in the spring sky we have a wonderful three very bright stars, the star Arcturus, the star Spica and the star Regulus. Now, most people know where the plough is. And if you find the plough, which at the moment is standing on its tail, it goes round the pole star, the north circular sky uh, circulates round the pole star, Polaris, and the plough sits a little bit away from that. So it's standing on its tail at the moment. So find the plough, which is to the right of the pole star, if you know where the pole star is, and follow the curve of the handle down. Follow the handle of the plough down, and you'll come to a star. You're going in an arc, and you're coming to the star Arcturus. That's how everyone remembers it. So that's the star Arcturus which is the principal star in the constellation of Buertes, the herdsman. Wonderful constellation, quite faint with a bright star in the middle. And the bright star in the middle, is like, it's like an ice cream cone on its side, with the star being the bottom of the ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. Just like the ancient astronomers had all these wonderful bears and crabs and hunters, we have ice cream cones and triangles <laughs> and bikini bottoms and all sorts of things in the sky. So that's the star Arcturus. Now follow that same line down and you come to a star called Spica, uh, the principal star in the constellation of Virgo the Virgin, one of the zodiacal constellations. And Virgo is a constellation that sits as far away from the Milky Way as you can get. So when you look with a telescope at the constellation of Virgo, you actually see with a telescope lots of fuzzy patches in the sky. And these are the, the, the Virgo cluster, the Virgo cluster of galaxies which are beyond our own Milky Way galaxy. And there's a wonderful legend about a constellation just above that called Coma Berenices. And Coma Berenices, there's a wonderful mythology because the king came back from battle, having been victorious. And his wife, to celebrate his triumphant return, chopped all her hair off and laid it on the altar of the, the palace. Next morning, the hair had gone. The hair had gone, so the court, the king court, summons everyone and where's it gone? If I don't find out where this has gone, heads are going to roll, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. The court astrologers, that's when astrology and astronomy had far closer links, um, said, your majesty, such was the blessing that your wife gave us. It has been placed up in the sky. And if you look up at the sky at the constellation Coma Berenices, just above Virgo, even with binoculars or very good eyesight, you'll see the stars aren't quite as crisp. They're fuzzy. They're all galaxies. 
And that's where the mythology and the legend and the reality of what we're seeing in the sky come together. And I love these stories because these stories, of course, they make you understand why the ancients have these ancient beliefs and these ideas. But of course, we can explain it now with modern science. To continue our trek across the sky, we've had Arcturus, we've sped, sped on to Spike, which is how we remember it. Now go about 20, 30 degrees, which is about a fist at arm's length is 10 degrees. So come along, you'll see another bright star. And this is the bright star Regulus, the principal star in the constellation of Leo the Lion. And Leo the Lion is one of the few constellations that looks a little bit like what it's, what it's meant to represent. It looks like a, a crouching dragon. The star Regulus is at the bottom of, if you like, a reverse question mark or a sickle shape, mm -hmm. which incidentally is known in Manx as Incorren. The sickle is, is a Manx expression for uh, the, the sickle in the sky, which is Leo's head. So that's the head. The reverse question mark is his head and his body stretches out to the left hand side. And those three stars, which are quite distinctive against all the bright ones of winter in the spring, you've just got three very bright stars. And those three stars, Regulus, the principal star of Leo the lion, Spica, the principal star of Virgo the virgin and Arcturus, the principal star of Boertes the herdsman, really dominate the spring sky. And we, we wonder what's coming next because, of course, we've then got the summer constellations to follow, which maybe we can talk about another time. I want to return to the idea of the folklore around the aurora because I know, as you said, you've just been away and you've actually been giving talks about this while looking at the astonishing aurora display <laughs> in Norway. Um, what can you tell us about some of this folklore? Well, there is so much folklore about the Northern Lights. It's incredible. Every time I do these lectures, I find more and more about them. There's a wonderful one I've just discovered called the Finnish Revolente Fox. The aurora is a fox. It's a celestial fox whose big bushy tail brushes the snow and the snow goes up into the sky and sparkles and that's the aurora. Oh, I that's, love that. That's the Finnish uh, legend. There's also the legends of the North Americans. The North Americans believe that if you talk to the aurora, um, they'll give messages to the dead. And there's another one, if you talk to the, the, the bogeyman, as we would call it in modern parlance, I suppose, or ancient the parlance. The began. will come and get you. That's probably a Manx one. I've not heard it. So I've not heard any Manx, specific Manx legends about the aurora. And there are so many throughout the world. And when you consider it, and again, I did this when I was on the ship, I mean, if few weeks ago, days ago, and um, when you look at the sky and you've got a beautiful starry night, it's a beautiful scenery, you've got snow-coloured mountains, it's a calm crossing because you wouldn't be outside of the world, it changes. It, one minute you're there, there's a peak bit there, next minute it's gone, next minute there's something mm -hmm. else going. I must just tell you, I went on a snowmobile ride. Had, had to, don't you? If you go to Norway, you know, were, so I went on this snowmobile ride and I happened to be in the last one in the line going along this track and all of a sudden there's a literally a vertical beam of aurora straight in front of us i'm convinced it was star trek come to get me on the tractor beam <laughs> well i'm glad you did come back to us howard <laughs> there's so many legends did you know i don't know if this is this is family radio but can i say this on radio and um, that if a child is conceived under the aurora that child will grow up lucky graceful and Beautiful. Um, there's another one that if you give birth under the aurora, that child will grow up um, good-looking and beautiful and uh, full of uh, luck. And um, So if we speak to our parents, Howard, that's obviously what happened with I us, can, I think. I'm convinced, absolutely. I didn't know there was an auroral display in, in August 1953, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure there was. 
Uh, but there's there's lots of others. There's so many different legends about the aurora. Of course, one of them has been ruined a little bit because one of the great legends is the Viking um, the ideas of the Viking warriors. Mm. The aurora is the the glint of the the light on their armor as they're ascending to Valhalla, the Viking um, place. The Valkyrie, the female uh, warriors of the um, the Vikings. Uh, that's the the Viking legend. But there's also a thing called the Bifrost Bridge, and the Bifrost Bridge is something that they, they is, is for Viking folklore. But unfortunately, they've pinched that in the Marvel films they now. Have. And they've, they've ruined it to me to an extent because in, it was always a sort of a, an enigmatic sort of mystical thing. But now they've popularised it so much that we ignore the Norwegian one now and go for the, the Finnish fox or the North Americans. I like the Finnish fox one. I'm going to go with that. Revolante. Yeah. Well, listen, you mentioned as well the Isle of Man Astronomical Society. Um, can people join that? Of course they can. We're more than welcome to have people come and join us. We meet at the observatory on the first Thursday of every single month at 8 o'clock at the observatory, the James Martin Observatory, as it's now known. And uh, we'd love to see you there because, as I said before, if we're talking about the stars or you're outside and you think the stars are wonderful and you'd like to know more about them, Yes, you can get books, magazines, apps, whatever you want, but it's much better to go and meet some other people of like mind. And we can explain to you about the aurora, we can explain to you about the constellations or the aurora, the nebulas or whatever. And then if they want to learn more and look through our telescope, of course they can do so. First Thursday of every month at 8 o'clock. And if you're very lucky, you might meet this man, Mr Howard Parkin. Thank (laughs) you very much indeed for your time, Howard. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you.